Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the 4Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusick, and in this episode, my guest is Tim Schmidt. Tim is the managing editor of GolfWeek and GolfWeek.com, and he is one of the very select number of media members who is on-site at Colonial Country Club this week in Fort Worth, Texas, for the restart event of the PGA Tour, the Charles Schwab Challenge. In the podcast you're about to hear, Tim and I talk at length about what it was like for him to be one of the first people to show up at a PGA Tour event since the COVID-19 pandemic forced the Players' Championship to be canceled after Thursday's play. We also talked about how the players appear to be handling coming back to the PGA Tour. We also talked at length about the comments made by John Rahm on Tuesday regarding the death of George Floyd and how the PGA Tour is trying to amplify the voices and efforts underway to end racial and social injustice. Get stronger, hit longer, and end pain with Golf Forever. Created by Justin Leonard and co-author of the Younger Next Year Back Book, Dr. Jeremy James, Golf Forever is the Take Anywhere online golf fitness program that helps you build a body primed for golf. It's simple, safe, and it works. At home, in the gym, on the golf course, Golf Forever's easy-to-follow exercises, warm-up routines, and course management videos will help you play your best pain-free. Sign up today at GolfForever.com and use promo code GOLFWEEK for a free 14-day trial. And now coming to us straight from one of my favorite barbecue cities in all of the United States, um, Fort Worth, Texas. Now, there are many, many great spots that I go to um, and have, a, have had the good fortune to go to over the course of my years in the golf business. Um, Austin, Texas has great Q, Kansas City, Chicago, my beloved Chicago, Memphis, fantastic, fantastic barbecue. I'm not that crazy, I will be honest with you, about the Carolina yellow sauce, the vinegar, all that kind of thing. It's <laughs> it's very tasty. But um, you to get me to Railhead Smokehouse, which is probably, it's about two par fives laid back to back away from the back end of Colonial Country Club in Fort Worth, Texas. You get me over there and I will become a mean man with a knife and fork. I'm a plus two handicap when it comes to eating at Railhead Smokehouse. Um you know, but Tim Schmidt is down there this week. He he draws the honor of being the uh, the first golf week person to come out of hibernation. Unfortunately, the the COVID nineteen pandemic has put a lot of us on the travel bench. Tim is out there actually at Colonial Country Club this week, and we'll be reporting it for golf week golfweek dot com as well as USA Today from the Charles Schwab and uh, Challenge. Tim, how you doing down there? You know, let's not kid ourselves, David. I am the single A pitcher. That was called up to the majors because something went wrong with the airlines and nobody else could make it to the majors in time to get to the start. And I'm comfortable with that. I'm, I'm ready to fill in. I'm just get me. I'm trying to get five solid innings here. Maybe uh, you know, even four till we get to the to the middle relievers. The beautiful thing about the way that they do it now is like if you give five solid innings, you get paid about twenty five to thirty million dollars a year, and somebody else gets to finish it out. So it's Great a beautiful. Point. 
It's yeah. it's a beautiful point. So your day started, uh, if I'm not mistaken, just outside of Austin, Texas. And um, today we're recording this on Tuesday evening. The start of the Charles Schwab Challenge is going to be in, well, about 36 hours from now. But it had to be, in my opinion, one of the most interesting and, and one of the most interesting days in sports and for some very odd reasons. And, and I want you to sort of walk us through what your day was like because we've been looking forward to golf fans around the world have been looking forward to professional golf and the PGA Tour returning. And, and it's starting now, um, but it's unlike anything we've really ever seen. And we're in a really unfamiliar place at this point. So explain to me how your day started and what, what you saw as you arrived at Colonial Country Club. Sure. So let me give you 30 seconds of backstory. I've covered uh, football. I was a hockey beat reporter for a while. All pro sports. I've been to Final Fours. I have been to all major events in all of the major four team sports that there are. I've also been to the Masters numerous times, multiple golf tournaments, other sporting events. I mean, I understand what the media spectacle is like. I've done it forever. So when I wake up this morning in Austin, about 445, I try to leave by 5.30 because I know it's about two and a half hours up here to Fort Worth. I arrive at um, the TCU campus, which is, you know, half a mile from Colonial. Right, right, right off of the Colonial Country Club. You can sure. see the football stadium from and right there. Yep. Actually, my my parking spot was in, on the second floor of the ramp overlooking the TCU football stadium. Okay. So yep. as with anything else, you know, your first thing is you've got to go and you've got to get on a shuttle bus because you're a media member and you've got to go a little, little ways, not far. And then you've got to get, you know, do you have your pass? Do you have every? Do you have all your credentials in order? You got to get sure. screened, etc. And typically, there's a line, and typically, there's a. There's, it's just a. You know, as I said to someone earlier, it's interesting. Even as a media member who, when there aren't a ton of people there, there's always a buzz. There's, you know, there's a few fans. There's, a, sure. there's somebody tailgating. There's something going on that you can just sense that this is a big event. This morning was the exact opposite. I literally yeah. got off out of my car, walked down the garage. Somebody handed me a mask, which was very nice of them. Um, and then I got on a shuttle bus and was the only person on a 50-seat shuttle waiting yep. for 15 minutes to a point where finally the bus driver said, well, looks like nobody else is coming. Do you just want to go? And I was like, yes, Justin Thomas yeah. is going to talk and in 45 minutes or 30 minutes. I need you to get going. I get to the club. They drop me off. I'm the only person on the shuttle bus on the half-mile shuttle over to Colonial Country mm -hmm. Club. I, I get up to the club. Um, somebody, a uh, masked person, comes over and says, I need you need to take your temperature. Mm -hmm. uh, she puts something on my forehead and soon after says I'm 98.8 degrees and I'm fine to go. Okay. Um at that point, someone hands me some parking passes for the future and some other things. And then I literally walk through the main gate at Colonial Country Club, of which there's nobody there except a big uh, a big statue of Ben Hogan. Ben Hogan, sure. Yeah, at right there in the main, you know, the main walk-in. And I turn to a police officer and say... Um, yeah, I'm looking for the, you know, the media area. Where do I go? And he said, you know, I don't know. You're the first guy to ask me that today. <laughs> now, let me tell you, this is 830. Justin Thomas starts talking at nine. I'm the first person who's apparently approached this guy. The, the, 
the parking lot isn't full. Um, I did go through a thermal screen. That's one thing I, I forgot to, to bring up. Okay. But, but then I walk over and there are, you know, uh, 15 PGA Tour players uh, chipping and putting with their coaches. Nobody hovering around the green, which is bizarre to me. And I walk over and walk into the media center where there are probably 25 other total people everybody spaced out 15 feet apart um yep. now know, is it in the is it in the tennis club it's still or the, in tennis the tennis area club it's still okay so i know exactly club. where you are so you when you go down the stairs mm-hmm. and behind 18 green and sure is is normally there would be some very nice looking white picket fencing around that putting green. I'm assuming that's not there. There's nothing there, but there are some. There are some very small ropes, and there was okay. nobody up against the ropes. Uh, you know, again, I've been to pre, uh, to other tournaments, not this one, but typically there's a whole bunch of people hovering around. Sure, just everybody wants to get a look of, at somebody out there for sure. Nobody. There was nobody standing. As a matter of fact, when a photographer popped up later, I said to him, "Hey, man, if at any point you need a shot, you just tell me. I'm the only guy here. You tell me." To get out of your way and he laughed and said no don't worry i can work around you this is easy as as guys like i'm talking you know ricky fowler rory mcelroy sergio garcia these are we're not talking about b list players the top guys are playing brooks kepka i got a an early picture of him with my cell phone that i tweeted out yep. because i was 10 feet from him and i was the only person around he was talking with ian poulter and i just i was like well geez somebody should probably take a picture of this guy he's got a okay so let me let me jump in here and yeah. then not interrupt you and ask the obvious question. So you're going through here. Is there anybody walking around? Is there anybody, either a tournament official, somebody from the PGA Tour itself, a, a player, a volunteer, asking you to step back away from the rope? Or no. were the, did you get any looks from anybody saying like, hey, there's a, there's somebody at this point, you know, you've got a media credential or whatever yeah. that, that says like, hey, you know, away from the ropes? Or is it more of a self-policing type of environment yeah. out there right now where people are just sort of doing what they feel comfortable with if anything i think uh the the folks that were on site and there were uh, you know uh, not a ton of them but there were more right. people C- compared to the media members if you're looking at numbers mm-hmm. there were more volunteers and and support staff on site than there were media members by far mm-hmm. it was almost the op- opposite it was almost like hey you know can we how, how are things can we help you with anything i think that you go to a, a saturated event where there's hundreds of media folks and you know they're just trying to clear clear the sides they don't want issues mm-hmm. this was the exact opposite you're the one guy who's here can we get you anything and it'll it'll be interesting to see what your experience is going to be and i would imagine that we're going to get a feel for this on social about how um monday if i understand correctly at the pga tour events at least the first four of which is the first one we'll be going to hilton head uh after this and then up here to my neck of the woods for the travelers championship and then up to detroit um, for the for the fourth one is that where we know that there's not going to be spectators allowed at any of the first four events the first day, Monday, is basically testing day, where the players who have traveled and people who are arriving on site who are going to be, quote-unquote, inside the bubble, they're all getting their testing done. In mm-hmm. many cases, they're going to be allowed to go on property in certain places, but it's like Monday is almost like a closed-down, kind of a half-day kind of a thing. Tuesday, then, becomes the first day when people are going to be around and on site, as you are. And what I'll be curious to find out is how much it's going to ramp up in terms of we know there's going to be very limited numbers of media members who are going to be there. If I understand correctly, uh, broadcast, the television group, which is going to be CBS and such like that, are talking about 25, you know, right. le- less than 30 people for broadcast. Normally, to broadcast a, a week-to-week PGA Tour event, you're talking 
60, 70, 80 people. I mean, sure. depending on exactly what the venue is going to be. So huge drop-offs. Um, it's great to hear that people are, are, are glad to see you and, 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 and other members of the media that I would assume started to show up and, and, and such like that. But how much you know, it's, it's going to continue that way well, will be really interesting to see. It's interesting because even uh, so, one of the, the the little caveats here is that you can't swap out a credential. So, in a typical right. you know Charles Schwab right. uh, challenge, let's say Kirk Bowles from the Austin American Statesman wants to come up one day, but the the Statesman has uh, a columnist come that's Kirk the one day, and then they have a beat reporter come another day, and he gets a couple of features to go with a column. There's none of that. You get you have as a media organization, you get one credential and. And that person yep. has to be here. So what was interesting is you have a, lot, uh, a handful of folks today on site and probably about half of the desks were unused. So really today there were like 15, there were 25 people in the media center total, including volunteers mm-hmm. and everything. There were 30 desks, but there were only 15 media members today, maybe 20, maybe. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was even interesting because typically, you know, I, I this is the way I used to handle this as a sports editor. You know, the newbie reporter would get to go to the preseason football game. And then, of course, once the, the real season started, yeah, I would right. cover the Bills. I mean, it, there's none of that. There's no filling in. There's no getting secondary people in. If you're going to come, you've got to come for as many days as possible. So even that will ramp up, I'm assuming, tomorrow and then obviously Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But you can't just have uh, right. multiple people come in. So even that makes it weird. You know, it's... You could, you could, in in essence, leave your stuff all week because there's nobody else that's going to use your table. So it'll the, be. It, the, I love the fact that you were talking about bigfooting somebody for a Buffalo Bills as a as a New England Patriots fan. <laughs> I just it just tickles me no end to hear the the former sports editor bigfooting yeah. the the rookies. You know, like go ahead. Have yeah. a preseason game my, against the Dolphins, my, but uh, yeah, when, when the Pats years, are Foxborough, don't don't my, be my looking for My seven years it. of covering the Buffalo Bills included uh, Dick Duran, uh, Chan Gailey, and Mike Malarkey. So I, I'm the not including anybody. Of, of the salad years in Orchard Park, <laughs> lovely. That's great, great stuff. So throughout the course of your day, how many times did people take your temperature? Only once. Although I, it's interesting that you say that, I had to go through screening at three different places, which was bizarre. I think. So what, is that, what does that involve? Like when you, you said before, like thermal screening, like what, what does that mean? It, it's nothing. It's airport screening. You walk through an airport screener. I don't know what that means. I don't know what they're finding huh. on that, but that's what it, it looks like a big airport screen screening device. Huh? Okay. Yeah. I have no idea. I don't know what, the, if they've, you know, rigged this so that it's got something else in it, but that's what mm-hmm. it was like. It was, and, and it's funny because the first one that I did, which was back, back at the garage, they to, to leave before they gave me the mask, I had to walk through. They had this all coned off again, realize, I mean, these are events that typically there are thousands of people and hundreds of media members. And so they had this whole thing coned off with signs that said, you know, it, it really was like a Monty Python skit. They said, you know, there's six feet between each person. They had like cones and all this stuff and and i walk up and i'm the only person there are crickets chirping and i'm the only person within like a quarter of a mile aside from these people that are that are waiting for me on site And, and you know they're like sir could you please step through the cones and i just like giggled inside my head like sure i don't wanna I don't wanna be disobedient here but I'm the only guy on site. Anyway. So Colonial Country Club is one of the holier 
non-major venues that we go to on the PGA Tour. There are a couple places that we go to on a fairly regular basis. In a, in a few mm-hmm. weeks, we'll be heading to Muirfield Village, which is uh, home of the Memorial, hosted by Jack Nicholas. That's a big-time event. Um, there are other ones when we go to Quill Hollow. That golf course is thought so well of by the players in Charlotte that that has a, a big-time feel. It's interesting that Colonial being relatively short by modern PGA Tour standards is sometimes passed over, and a lot of times because of the scheduling, it's been passed over by many of the top players. This week, we've got the top five players in the world. Um, I, I'm going to get this wrong, but it's either 15 or 17 uh, of the top 20. It's a huge number of elite players who are going to be playing there. But from everything that you're saying, you know, you know, you, you walk in and there's all this stuff going on. Do you think there's going to be a challenge for there to be a buzz around the area? Or do you think there's a danger that for, for people on site being basically being the players, is there going to be potentially a lack of energy that makes it feel almost like some type of a strange exhibition? And is that something that's going to come over, on the broadcast. I know the broadcast and CBS and, and Golf Channel are going to have to do some things a lot differently, but with no spectators, you're not going to hear roars from the crowds. You're not going to hear claps. You're not going to see people along the fairways. You're not going to see people in grandstands. It's going to look and feel so different. Are you concerned now having seen what this might be like that it's it's going to lack the energy of a major sporting event? No, actually the opposite. And it's because of the layoff and it's because of the fact that most of these guys and think about go back to, you know, we have such a great staff at Golf Week, uh, folks who cover amateur and junior golf events. And you think about as a 14, 15, 16, heck, a 10, 11, 12 year old golfer, the grind that these players go through from such a young age, the the spells, the, the breaks are so rare. I mean, even at a very young age, these folks, you know, you're talking about people who are playing golf constantly and when they're not playing, they're practicing. And even when it's winter and if they're in a colder region, they've got a coach that they're going to see. Now you're talking about guys who have literally had three months off. Sure, they've played some golf. Yes, they've worked on drills, but this is completely foreign to them. And the way that they kind of interacted today was just really unique. It, it, just watching the kind of the, 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 the childlike joy. Now, I don't know that they're all going to feel that way on Saturday when, you know, it's been 100 degrees for three days and when you're talking about uh, a pretty rough stretch. I know you say it's not a long course and it's not by uh, modern PGA Tour standards, but three, four, five, Hogan's Alley, that whole stretch is really difficult to get off the, get out of the gates. And, you know, for, for early rounds, this is going to be tough for players who have not been playing tournament golf for a long time to go through a stretch like that early in a round. But man, I'm telling you, just to watch them interact today, it was like, it was completely different than things I've seen in other places. It really was. It was not a a uber focused you know this is what i do at a cutthroat level and i have to maintain that and i'm and i'm and i'm 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 phasing out everything else around me it was an appreciation for just being back with their with their workmates and Mm -hmm. it was really kind of fun to watch there was a lot of giggling on the practice tee there was a lot of the you know i i i sat on the first tee for a while and just watched kind of groups different groups come through and just the interaction you know that they're they're listen 
PGA Tour players, caddies, and staff personnel on site are always, you know, are always friendly. But it's it's more of a cordial, I'm walking through, thank you so much, I appreciate it. This was a lot of really excited folks to see each other. And I, and I feel like it'll be that way tomorrow. Or excuse me, Thursday and Friday. Again, I think when we start to get into Saturday and Sunday, we're talking about hot, hot, hot temperatures and remembering how this works and why this works and thinking about the paychecks you haven't gotten in three months, then it might change. I think the first two or three days are going to be really interesting, though. One of the things that I think goes underappreciated by a lot of people outside the ropes, and it's something you come to to learn as you get more and more experience going out to PGA Tour events, is that um, while everybody likes to compete and everybody does compete very hard against each other, as you allude to, on the weekends, especially on Sundays, um, the competition is very heated in President's Cups and certainly in Ryder Cups. Um, in other competitions, you, you you see that stuff come out. There is a universal respect amongst the players and the caddies and the tournament people who are out there week in and week out. And I think that there is a camaraderie that is very unique in the sport of golf. You, you're going to see, I think, a lot of handshakes and respect and all the you know guys chatting up each other after NBA games and certainly after NFL games and in some cases people will circle around the 50 yard line and there'll be a prayer circle which which you know will be amongst the teams and that, and that's not just going to be a single thing PJ tour players by and large it is as they even refer to it themselves it's a traveling circus and yeah. it's you know it is there is a a very rhythmic dance that happens to it where a tour event will typically start very slowly on a Monday. Tour vans open up. Some guys come in for some equipment things if they didn't play the week before. Tuesday, they're going to play a practice round. Wednesday, it's a pro-am and a practice round. Thursday, Friday, we're doing it. We've got the cut Friday. Saturday, Sunday, we're really competing hard. Repeat the next week. And it's a very rhythmic thing. And guys get used to seeing each other. They have relationships. Um, many players are very good friends. Um, with each other they give each other training tips they oftentimes share coaches um, sometimes they will share travel arrangements sometimes they even share housing you know it's, it's interesting to sure. hear that um, Justin Thomas Jason Duffner and uh, Ricky Fowler um, are all sharing a house and sharing a chef for the next three weeks <laughs> um, and these guys are competing against each other and and sometimes I talk with people in the media who don't kind of get that and there's blowback on it they're like what do you mean that you know, so, some guys are sharing a house and competing against each other. I want guys who are going to go after each other's throats, and it's it's just not like that. There, mm -hmm. there's it's a very different vibe. Um, I'll be fascinated to see, as you say, like how this evolves. I think guys missed each other. I think just the human interactions that take place that we never thought of, whether it's seeing people by the water cooler at your office, running into to to your friends and you know your kids' friends at little league baseball games and softball games, lacrosse tournaments. Um, at church, at the grocery store. For the last three and a half months, everybody, athletes included, have been leaving a much more secluded life, have been much more careful, have been thinking about much bigger things than golf, frankly. And for them to get out there now and to see each other, for guys who maybe were in Arizona, seeing their friends who are in Florida, someplace other than on social media or on Zoom, would be relieving. I'm sure it was enjoyable Great first day, and I, I agree. I think that you'll probably get that um, for the first couple well, of events. And as the, some some other guys start to trickle back out on tour, 
it will continue for a little while. And David, let's not, let's go past just the, the you know the, the proximity to other players and friends. It's if you think about this, and I mean, I'll put this in our in perspective for the two of us. I mean, you know, as as uh, media members, when the print product closes, you know, I'm thinking about being a longtime newspaper guy. There, you know, we all go out for a beer after deadline because something just we finally put the paper to bed. And, yeah. and it takes a while to get, you know, but but that next day, the grind starts again in the morning when you get back in and it wears on you after a while. And that's what the PGA Tour is. I mean, you talked about Monday being that off day. But I mean, think about it. It's a travel day. It's not there, there's not there's really things to off do. Time yeah. There's stuff going guys. on. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, there's no, there's not, there's not stretches where you're relaxed. It's, it's looks the excitement, the either the heartbreak of being, you know, missing the cut on Friday and and really beating yourself up for two days, or you know, Sunday being uh, the stress of a Sunday of a PGA Tour event. And then Monday, it, you just come completely off it, and Tuesday you're thrown right back into it. You're, you're on a practice round. You're talking about the next course. You're you're with the media. This has been months since that's happened. I mean, I think it's just natural. The cycle of emotion and intensity that they haven't had to to use all of a sudden, you know, it's just muscle memory. But it's 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 just it's such an interesting piece. I think to see these guys not have coming, they're not coming off something last Sunday. And and mm-hmm. you can sense that now. Of course, the fact that there are no fans here, the fact that the, the you know that that there are, like I said, people. Um, look, the there's PGA far fewer far fewer cameras, far fewer sure. eyeballs. The guys can stay relaxed. They yeah. they know they're in a bubble. They know they're amongst friends, quote unquote. Sure. And uh, yeah, I think that there is, as long as they're careful in some ways, uh, which I, I'm sure they're being reminded of constantly by the tour. They they can relax a little bit more at this event than they probably have it in it's several than they have in a long time. Absolutely. Now it's easy it's easy for us to say because most of the guys on the tour are you know have done pretty well for themselves. They play golf sure. for a living, and yet they've got pretty big uh, they've made pretty big paychecks along the way. The staff and the folks around them, their team members, don't necessarily feel that way. And caddies mm-hmm. have been, you know, trying to get by in the the pandemic. And support mm-hmm. staff members were cut, or they couldn't use them as often. So the team around them might not feel that way in two, three weeks. But right now, I think there's a sense that he were just excited to be back out there and playing golf. The counter. An NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Winds, Steven Ruiz and Chris Corman. I know people are like just assuming that this is an upgrade at the quarterback position, but I don't think we could say that for a fact. I'd say it's, it's a downgrade. He never really had game-to-game impact just coming off the edge and destroying people that we thought when we saw his athleticism in college and at the combine. And- the Counter, diving deeper into the NFL with advanced stats, film study, and expert guests. This is The Counter. Listen and subscribe to The Counter on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So the other big story, obviously, that's, that's I'll, I'll be fascinated to see exactly what happens this week um, at Colonial Country Club, relates to how players are reacting in wake of the death of George Floyd and all of the um, marches and all of the attention that's being put, rightfully so right now, on the struggle from... You know that, that has been with the black community for far, far, far too long. 
You wrote today at length about John Rahm, who is the second-ranked player in the world. Rahm, who is not black, is from Spain. Um, and he said to you some very interesting things of, of, about his experiences coming to the United States, living in the United States as somebody who is not a native English speaker. Um, explain to me about a little bit about what you wrote about with Rahm and, and what you learned today. Well, I have to tell you, the interesting part about that is I knew that at 10 a.m. John Rahm was speaking and at 1230 Harold Werner III was speaking. And, you know, I assumed that the, the, the comments and the discussion about George Floyd would be around Harold Varner. He came out and was very poignant in his statement on Twitter recently. And mm -hmm. I assumed that that would be that discussion. And when Rom kind of went into this long discussion about it, I really, it, it was, it felt, um, so authentic. It was really interesting, his response. And I wrote this in today's piece, but I, he's a guy who has always, you know, worn his emotions on his sleeves too much, much so sometimes. Um, yep. But really, the fact that he just came out and, and the question was not, uh, you know, trying to pin him down. And sometimes we in the media want these folks to speak out about things, even though they don't want to speak out about them. And we really want their opinion. It wasn't like that. It was a very casual question, you know, just wondering, do you have any th messages that you'd like to share about this? And he essentially said, look, um, I'm not racial pro racially profiled. Nobody looks at me and gives me a hard time. But when I open my mouth in uh, Arizona, he went to Arizona State. He lives in Scottsdale, Arizona with his wife and has for a few years. When I open my mouth and I speak, um, I get looks. I definitely get looks of um, people kind of giving me the why are you here vibe. Mm -hmm. And he goes, and it's not fun. I, I think his exact reaction, uh, I, I can look up the quote, but it was it was something about the fact that, look, it's not a good feeling. And if that's what I'm feeling, I can't imagine what others in a more oppressed community are feeling. And the way that he came across, it was just so um, sympathetic and emotional. It really was a great, great four or five minutes talking about this. And he, he essentially said, look, I, if, if I help to, to enlighten the discussion with just one person, if people want to come and approach me on it, if they don't, that's fine. But if they do, I want to have this talk with them about how awkward I've felt. And if I feel that way, what others in other regions might have felt. And I, I just thought that was really poignant at this time when, let's face it, the PGA Tour was the last of the major sports organizations to say anything yep. about this whole, you know, the, the protests, about everything that's going on, the cycle that's going on right now. And the fact that he would be that person that would kind of step up, that it surprised me a little bit too, because not that, not that he hasn't been someone to speak out, but the way that he kind of unprovoked just wanted to throw himself in the middle of it. I'll be honest, I had a lot of respect for John Rahm. And, and the fact that he wanted to make a point to say, if someone wants to talk to me about this, I feel this way. And if I feel this way, man, I mean, there are a lot of people out there who must feel this on a much stronger level than I do. I thought that was very poignant. So a couple things off of that. Number one, that what hits me is that Rahm is a great guy. And it doesn't surprise me in the least that he has given this issue thought, significant thought. Mm -hmm. And is being honest and sincere and heartfelt, and um, that's encouraging. One of the things that was the biggest buzzworthy kind of thing in the sports world during the pandemic has been the Jordan doc. I mean, we all were sitting, basically sitting there on Sunday evenings watching Michael Jordan's, the, the documentary on ESPN, The Last Dance, and part of that documentary was 
Jordan's relationship with the media was at times contentious. Um, mm-hmm. at, at times it was this very odd sort of thing where you consider like how much pressure and how much scrutiny he was put under. He was under the microscope to the, to the point that, uh, you know, more, more than or as much as any athlete in the history of sport. But he, he handled it, I think, very well with a couple of mishits. And, and that's, that's fine. Like, nobody's perfect. I get that. <laughs> he has been looked at by clearly so many athletes across multiple sports um, and other athletes. And, and what I'm really sort of getting at with all this is that the younger generation of golfers now who have been much more open and much more willing to step out and be involved and to voice their opinion um, in the wake of everything that has happened, in the wake of George Floyd's death, you saw Ricky Fowler and Justin Thomas and Brooks Kepka. Um, we even got a statement from Tiger Woods, which was very un-Tiger-like, but it, th- this, this instance warranted it. So many more athletes, but to me, especially the younger ones, coming out and voicing their opinion about this, I'm wondering how much of that, not to take anything away from them, is the influence of the NBA and other athletes to show that they are willing to go out there and to be a part of this societal issue. It's a really big issue. It's about the biggest issue we could possibly have in the United States right now, and it's become global. But you, the basketball players were immediately out there. We saw things from LeBron mm-hmm. James. We saw things from, from other athletes as well. NFL players immediately jumping in there, basically forcing the hand of Roger Goodell to come out and say, we were wrong which was an unbelievable thing to have happen, in my opinion. Yeah. And as you mentioned to just a moment ago, the PGA Tour was really late coming out with its position on this. The PGA of America, the USGA, other entities, like the Golf Association and the alphabet soups of groups that, that basically comprise our sport were much more towards the end of those statements being given than they were towards the beginning. But I wonder how much of an influence athletes from other sports have had on the way that golf's athletes look at what they should be doing, how they should be using their voice, when they should be going to social media and standing up and saying, I side with the right on this. I side with, with, with society. I side with people doing the right, right things for other human beings. It's not about politics. It's about doing what's right for everybody. You, you didn't used to hear that from golfers. Golf was just this very lily white country club sport that kept to itself. The PGA Tour, you know, famously doesn't, you know, announce when players get fined. They don't make announcements about everything because, you know, they, they just don't do that. And here they are coming out saying that we are going to not have a group at the 8:46 tee time this week at both the Charles Schwab Challenge and the Corn Ferry Challenge and that there's going to be a moment of silence during that time. And then three horn blasts. And they're doing that because 846 has become the universal symbol for racial injustice that has basically been faced by the African-American and the black community. That never would have happened before. And this is obviously a very different sort of situation that we're all in. Thank goodness. Well, but sure. how much do you, how much do you think is I'll sort of get off of my soapbox here? No. Do you think that, that the athletes, especially the younger ones on tour look at, everybody else on social and are like, yeah, that's where we are. That's, that's what we need to do. Well, again, going back to what I was talking about when I said the amateur and junior players at a very young age, this, this is a 
different group of of people than you know the golfers that you and I grew up with. Those folks, uh, you know, uh, they they played some amateur and junior golf. They maybe went to college. They kind of got on the tour, and that's when the spotlight hit them, and that's when they realized that this could be a livelihood, and that's when um, they realized that they had to talk about things like this. They had to have uh, social awareness. When you look back at at what the players of our era went through and what uh, a 14-year-old now who knows that he's on the fast track to becoming a a big-time college player and potentially a PGA Tour player um, has in front of them with social media, with it's it's a brand new world, David. I mean, you know, I'm. It's funny as the as the new managing editor of Golf Week, I'm preaching this to to you folks all the time. And it's this is uh, Instagram lives and and quick hits and chatting and and it's it's not unfortunately to to a degree the the long contextual pieces that maybe the magazine used to do. Although I love those and we still try to do some of those. You know, this is what modern society is: is these quick hits. And I think that. Uh, many of these players have realized early on they're not just going to be able to sit on the sideline. They're going to have to be proactive and they also have to be very smart about how they are proactive. They, you know, to, to throw yourself into the fire just to throw throw yourself into the fire doesn't make a ton of sense and it could sabotage Agreed. your career. And, I, and I look at, that's why I was so surprised not that John Rahm was thoughtful. I knew he would be thoughtful. He's always thoughtful. And and I that's why I like the guy, to be honest with you. That, mm-hmm. Not only the fact that I am uh, spent a bunch of time in Phoenix and went to Arizona State, but I I think just so highly of him because he does seem to be um, a renaissance man in, in certain ways. And then, of course, blows up, which makes it even more fun because it just shows that he wears his emotion on his sleeve. But the fact that he did step in when he really didn't have to, that's not the norm. The norm is to pick right. the right side, not just for golfers, but for all athletes to make sure that they're not uh, provoking anyone. And that's not what John Rob did. He jumped right into this and said, look, if anybody wants to talk to me about this i think this is a big deal and and you know i'm not going away on this because people shouldn't be treated he said we're all human beings we should all be treated the same way and i just thought that was again very poignant from a very thoughtful guy but at a time when he didn't have to throw himself in and that's what it's encouraging it's encouraging to hear rom say things like that and a lot of times athletes across the board oftentimes are not given enough credit for being thoughtful they're they're Mm -hmm. a lot of times asked the exact same question when they go you know whether it's a football game a basketball game a golf tournament um those of us who are fortunate enough to to see them quite a bit you do a tournament in fort worth texas a couple weeks later in charlotte north carolina a couple weeks later uh in orlando florida boston mass the local beat writers all due respect like are asking the same question it's just about this golf course in boston versus this one in charlotte why is this tournament special? And, and the guys just get bored out of their minds with this. So they hit the automatic play button. The appropriate answer gets spit out. They never get asked about this stuff. And some of them probably, to be fair, might not be comfortable talking about it. They right. don't want to say the wrong thing. They realize and have a very good radar for when this question needs to be handled with thought and tact and sincerity. And if you're not ready to do that, you can get yourself in trouble by inadvertently saying the wrong thing or something that comes off as being insensitive. It's encouraging to hear guys be willing to say like, yeah, you know, this is how I feel. This is what I have experienced or this is what I know I have not experienced because of the color of my skin, because of my background. And to appreciate 
what what they have and and the opportunities that they have. Um, it's it's going to be something where if you had asked me about three weeks ago before all this started, would I be surprised if somebody who won at Colonial made a major donation? to COVID-19 relief, to various COVID-related charities, I would say no. That would be very much in keeping with the charitable elements sure. of the PGA Tour, which have obviously not been able to be fulfilled in many cases because tournaments simply aren't happening. Mm -hmm. um, it'll be very interesting to see if during the tournament, aside from the 846 tee times not taking place, if other players or if other things happen to signify – um, where players stand and and how they want to go about either doing charitable donations, charitable works, other pieces of activism as they are playing. Um, oftentimes in sport, you see guys will wear a black armband, for example, or wear a number or have some letters or something like that. Um, when Kobe Bryant died, totally different circumstance. I get it. We saw all kinds of different things happen with that in terms of guys with jerseys and player covers or this or that. I don't know. I mean, we'll see if there's going to be some more of that stuff happens. Uh, you know, when when play starts, I don't know. Have you heard of anybody saying that they're they're going to do anything, or, or is there anything going on beyond what we know no. the tour is doing with the eight forty six tee time? No, and again, that's what that's what I'm saying. I think that uh, I think that most of the players on the tour, and and this is not a knock on them. This is really mm -hmm. more indicative of understanding how society's work works right now. They're not. Very few of them are looking to, you know, overturn the apple cart here. They they really want to make yeah. a choice, but it's a smart choice. They think it's the smart choice, at least, and their PR people are telling them it's the smart choice. But they're not standing out and saying something, or at least if they are, and I, and I, I wouldn't and I wouldn't hold that against them. No, no, also, I, I, don't. I don't. I wouldn't hold I that don't. against them in the least. I don't, but but I think that that it's more, and that's what I think was so interesting about John Rahm was he didn't have to say this, and yet he did. Now, not you know, not to turn and 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 change the the, the tone of the subject of the uh, the podcast here, uh -huh. but that that actually leads me into something interesting. I, I wrote a piece that will be up in the morning, so on Wednesday about uh, miking up players and how, you know, everybody in the wake of the match two is so excited about the miking up of players. And then it, we talked today to Justin Thomas, John Rahm, and Jordan Spieth, who all said, nah, no thanks. <laughs> and so while you're talking about people yeah. wanting to voice their opinion and be vocal, I think there's still a pretty strong feeling for most of them that, hey, look, um, my job is still my job and my emotions are going to be what they are. And, and, and I don't want to be under the gun and under the surveillance yeah. of cameras and microphones 24 seven, especially while I'm doing something that's a really intense way of living, you yeah. know? I, yeah, I, I'm not the least bit surprised to be honest with you. I think that there's a difference between Justin Thomas, who did a great job at the match too, of getting some insight from Phil Mickelson on that chip shot that he yeah. hit. Um, and in a couple other instances and, it's something that we we look for that kind of interaction. I think that we selfishly, certainly in the media, and I think fans as well, would love to hear what the guys are chatting about. And, and, and I'll give you and everybody else who's listening to this a little bit of an insight. Usually it's a whole lot of nothing. Usually it's boring conversation. The kind of conversation you'd be like, we mic'd them up for this? Um, there's a lot less of the, hey, where's the wind? How are we going to do this? What club do you like? I want this like... It, th these guys are so, in such harmony that that kind of conversation does happen, certainly. Um, it's a lot less, lot less often than you think it would be. And I also 
think that they are such creatures of habit that wearing the microphone, certainly the first couple times, would be something they would be hyper aware of. And there's enough to think about when you're competing and trying to win against an elite field, just like the one we've got, obviously, at, at the Schwab this year. Mm -hmm. It's about as elite as it's going to get outside of the majors. Um, I, I don't hold it against them. I would love it. I know that the shotgun microphones that they have on the side of the course when there's not going to be anybody there, they'll pick up plenty of audio. Um, I, I put it a little bit more on network for not talking over the players, for being willing to have more silence. We don't need to hear Jim Nance and Nick Faldo and, and the other people talking all the time. Sometimes silence and hearing birds chirp and guys chat can be plenty if you just let it breathe and let it happen. But I, I, I would love to have the guys mic'd up. I'm not the least bit surprised that as much as we enjoyed it at the match, we're not getting that level of enthusiasm from the players now that there's actually money on the stakes and it's it's really coming to pass. And to go back to what you're saying, John Rahm said just that. He said, I can tell you I'm not speaking about many interesting things on a golf course. There's a lot of golf if I speak at all. I mean, so that yeah. again, for someone who is speaking out pretty strongly about a, an important social issue, he basically said, look, you don't want to hear me on a golf course. There's not really a lot for me to say. So I just thought that was interesting that most of them, for the most part, oh, by the way, for those of you who haven't been following along, um, uh, Justin Thomas said flat out he does not want to be mic'd, which was interesting in, in, you mm -hmm. know, in light of his, his strong performance, people saying that he will instantly fit in as a TV commentator. Um, and then Jordan Spieth said during his comments on Tuesday, I do know that one of the guys in my group is mic'd up, which means the only that other person Ricky. in that group would be Ricky Fowler. So guess yeah. what? I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here, David, and say that Ricky Fowler is going to be mic'd up come Thursday. <laughs> well, I'm just glad that uh, I've never been mic'd up at the aforementioned Railhead Smokehouse, because let me tell you, <laughs> it would be a disgusting thing to hear me chewing away on. I highly recommend the brisket. Um, they, it is, it is a weird thing. They, and you've seen this now since you've been in Texas where they give you the piece of plain white bread mm. to sop it up with, which is, which is fine. Um, I highly recommend while you're there, if you have a chance to get over to railhead, do enjoy that. Um, Tim, I appreciate it. I know it's been a long day for you. You're probably looking forward to some shut eye as am I. Um, it's going to be a great week. I'm excited. The PGA tour is, is back. We've got some great golf to look forward to. Enjoy your time at uh, Colonial Country Club. Thank you so much, David. Appreciate you having me. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.